Welcome back to Travel Support Thursday, the show where we answer all of your travel questions to help you travel more better. Every single Thursday. Yes, please help us with this tagline. Someone out there who's good at taglines for things, just give us a one-liner to describe this show. What, you know, just like the best one you can think of, because we can't think of any. Travel Support Thursday. I know, I know. Well, yeah, that's it. But like, you know, how, how do we... How do we tell a new person what's all in the show? Because so far, we've talked about like life choices. We talked about our personal finances. We've yep. talked about travel hacks. We talked about points. We it's just kind of all maybe, over the place. Maybe maybe the title is travel adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> travel approximate things. All right. Today on Travel Support Thursday, we're answering all of your questions about returning to a place that we've been already been before, mm-hmm. like the idea of chasing nostalgia mm-hmm. for us how we spend 24-7 together, and talk about what it feels like to come home from around the world trip. Yeah, and I just want to say right away that all of the comments that we got from last week's episode, yeah. which was kind of talking about like this idea of like seizing the day is too cheesy mm-hmm. of a way to say it, but like making sure that you get out of life what you want and not really taking the time that we have here for granted... We talked about that for like way too long last week. I got way too emotional. No, no or such maybe thing. Just the right, I don't know. Uh, the Midwestern dude in me is like, any emotion is too much emotion. So therefore, I must have none. But we appreciate the overwhelming like response and sentiment that came in response to that. Yeah. It just makes me so like happy and maybe proud is mm. the right word just to see how thoughtful and just how kind and just how smart everybody out there is you know like there's so many like deep thoughts and it started all these awesome conversations between us as well as in the comments it says so much about the type of people you all are and just the type of things you care about and just how like deep thinkers and how oh just it makes me so happy to see this type of discussion happen. that there's more to life than just like the highlight reel of travel there's so many aspects of travel that obviously we appreciate and we love and we love all the beauty and the like newness that comes with travel, but obviously there's so many layers that we love to unpack with you. Yeah, and then also the like incredible stories of like this like 71 year old lady out there with like two knee replacements who is about to go on a solo yeah. trip to Europe, and I like hear that I'm like yes. And then we heard from some of you who talked about the struggles of traveling when you are differently abled and and that we need to hear these voices. And so we really, really appreciate you amplifying them and sharing them. Yeah, speaking of that, after talking about that in the last episode, I mean, obviously all the great comments around that topic were just incredible, but we just kept digging into Mm -hmm. it because we had our experience of what places we thought were really like accessible in the most tangible way. It turns out there was this whole survey done to find out the most accessible places in the world yeah for people who are differently abled and it just makes me so happy to see this in the first place the survey surveyed lots and lots of people from several big countries so mostly from the u.s the uk australia i think japan and china so definitely not like all encompassing but from a lot of really big countries and they surveyed respondents to ask about what they felt like were the most accessible countries or cities to visit and and why. So let's just get to the list. And they're not like listed in particular order. But mm. for example, in Asia, Singapore was listed as a city. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But yes. Shanghai, mm-hmm. Tokyo, Japan, which we talked about as well. In the U.S., this was, I don't know why I take this for granted, but in the U.S., there were several, um, there were a few cities that came up. Las Vegas. What? Yeah. 
they talked a lot about how... I don't even think of that as like a travel destination. Yeah, <laughs> but almost, I mean, I know it is, of course, but like... But they talked about how all the hotel rooms, almost all the hotels on the Strip are accessible. <laughs> and and the streets are accessible. The paved, they, they go into detail, too. They talk about how the pavement um, affects the way people can travel. New York came up on there as well. And, and Orlando. Oh, Disney, and of course. Almost always, course. like, yeah, a lot of these cities had Disney parks, which is kind of cool. Um, New York was an interesting one for me because in my head, I, I think of, like, a lot of um, walking, you know, for and sure. you have to be fast-paced. But actually, one of the big things that this the survey um, talked about was how many people appreciated, how many people with disabilities appreciated the level of resources and information that the cities provided about their accessibility. Oh, yeah. So even though places, like even though New York's metro isn't always accessible, like their entrance and their exits aren't always accessible, mm-hmm. they talked about how New York New York did a really good job about providing resources on the places that were accessible to people. Yeah, because I suppose that if I were disabled, I wouldn't just want to like pick a destination and book flights without even knowing if I could do anything once I got there, if I could even get around, right? Like I'd want to know in advance in the same way that like we want to know if there's available hotels Mm -hmm. before we go and fly to a place. Like I'd want to know if I could even get around to the things that I wanted to do. Yeah, I would say overwhelmingly after last week's conversation, the thing that we heard from a lot of you too is just there's a lot of, um, maybe for some of you there's some anxiety, but overwhelmingly it felt like there was a lot of need for, you know, just advanced planning or navigation. It takes a little bit extra time. It takes a little bit extra work, but um, travel can be done when you when you prepare a little bit more. And we did go back and watched um, Corey Lee's travels and Wow, like I think one of his most popular videos, which I was super invested in and really interested in, was just literally his experience boarding a plane. Right. Just how complicated the whole thing is and how many people are involved with how the process. How many touch like, points, how many. And I could see, and this is like a really nerdy random thing, but you know, YouTube, when a video is watched a lot, you can see where it like peaks, meaning where people replay things and watch mm-hmm. things. And the peak moments were, I think, in my head, maybe people are watching this to see specifically when he gets out of the wheelchair and when he gets transferred to the to the actual seat. Right. And I, I can imagine like that part, those parts made sense to me because I think we watch YouTube videos to try and understand for our own selves, like prepare for certain experiences. Like mm-hmm. I used to watch hiking videos, just people hiking, walking on a hike. Because I used to solo hike a lot and I wanted to know, were there any places that I would feel uncomfortable? Were there Mm. any places that I need to be cautious of? And that, to me, I think we took for granted the whole boarding process. It was uplifting to find this survey because we did see that a lot of cities and countries are, of course, passing laws to make places more um, accessible, but there's a lot to be done. In Europe, the few cities that came up were Amsterdam, Paris came up, and as well as London. Finally, that made the list, Sydney, Australia. We were just there. Yeah. I mean, this was a cool, we'll share this survey. I thought it was super fascinating to read through. Thank you so much for asking that question last week. It let us down this huge rabbit hole of thinking about it, in, of thinking about travel from an entirely different perspective exactly. and it was it was great yeah so um for this week's episode we have a lot of great questions as well so we're going to get to the first one which comes from outdoor matt 2177 who asks a few very thoughtful questions but mm-hmm. one of them that like really 
really hit home for us. So Matt says, I've traveled to 11 countries, but find myself drawn back to some of the special places I've been, like Angkor Wat, Cambodia, for instance. Do I keep going to new places or do I return? And in relation to that question, if I return to a place I've been, will it be as good or maybe better being I have some familiarity? Basically, the question is, does traveling back to a place have benefits? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you watch our it channel. It certainly does. <laughs> yeah, you know that we have, we love going back to places we've been before. And I think for you specifically, you've done this kind of style of travel four different times. Yeah, like I think the, like the meat of this question is about nostalgia in a lot of ways for me in that like when when you travel to a place for me this is Longkawi, malaysia it's such like a specific destination it's not easy to get to but i had such just an incredible time while i was there that i always look back at Longkawi as this this like magical unicorn of a destination i mean the place is incredible don't get me wrong but most of that like feeling that want to go back is trying to recreate those feelings that I had the first time first that I went idea. there, yeah. which was just like going on this motorbike for the first time and having that level of freedom and meeting all these awesome people and like exploring this incredibly beautiful island via motorbike and just everything felt like this is exactly why I started traveling. This, it, this it almost thing. feels like it was like the right time, the right place, the right everything. Mm hmm this is like, that was your moment where everything kind of melded together and said, yeah. I'm, I'm here for a reason. Yeah. And I felt like a real traveler mm. for the first time. This was the first like place that I felt like good at traveling where I'd figured out a lot of the small systems that you just become used to over time that yeah. are involved in travel. And now it was just all fun. Yeah. It was all fun. So last year we went, right? Mm. You, me, your parents, we all went to Longkawi with yeah. you. How did that experience feel? Yeah, I think a lot of what I'm trying to do whenever I go back there is recreate that first feeling that I had. And it never works. <laughs> I never, I will never be able to be. 20 young 20 something again i'll never be able to recreate that feeling but still there's like this part of my head that just wants to keep trying mm -hmm. you know that just wants to like get just a little moment feel that way again feel that just like ecstatic total weightlessness and i think this like going back to a place a second third a fifth a tenth time for me for a long time was just about chasing that nostalgia chasing that dragon over and over again of that first hit of this amazing like dopamine awesome feeling of like everything is life is good and trying to like turn back the clock a little bit so how did it feel this last time yeah it felt different mm -hmm. because it was different because mm -hmm. i was different because the place was different because the people that i was doing it were different and because like 10 years passed mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like, in a good way in a bad way just in a different way. It wasn't necessarily good or bad. I think the only bad that can come out of this is focusing so hard on trying to recreate the thing or the feeling that I had on the first one and then being disappointed when I can't. That's interesting because when I think about the times that like, I mean, I remember specifically when we were planning our one year trip, feeling worried that you were going to have to go back to all of these places that I had never been. Mm -hmm. And 
I think what I felt overwhelmingly from that trip was that you were excited to like show me the magic of these places. Oh, definitely, definitely. I wanted to like wrap up in gift box to you this like nostalgic feeling that I had had from 10 years ago yeah, just to show you it. I will say like even though I and even though I hadn't traveled as extensively as you, but one of the, I remember specifically on that trip we went to Singapore, you and I, and then I went and then we went back and then we went back again when your parents joined us on the trip. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling a little bit worried, like, oh, is this going to be because I struggle with the FOMO of wanting to see everything mm-hmm. and see new things. And so that was the first time that I was worried is going back going to feel not worth it. Sure. But I had a great time. And I think specifically having your parents join us on that leg of the trip was awesome because it it allowed me to see it through their lens. Like they were so enthralled by the public transportation, the walkways, the accessibility (laughs) of the place, the buildings, the cleanliness. The infrastructure. They get so pumped up about infrastructure. I love it. And that like immediately put me in a happy place. And so there is some joy, I think, of even though it may never feel the way that you felt the first time, I think for me, it felt, it felt, rewarding and exciting to relive some of that excitement through other people yeah and a lot of that is exactly why we make this youtube videos right is we want to like we had this amazing feeling this thing that changed our life of quitting our job traveling the world going to all these cool places and Mm -hmm. we just want to share that with all of you because oh man i love doing it like (laughs) and like but just the right amount right because the goal and without being prescriptive yeah the hope is that like you and everybody that that goes out into the world then experiences it the way that you want to not through us you know mm. like you get a taste of it and and i think that's what made that trip so special or traveling with other people who have never been to that place before so mm-hmm. special is you get to see it through a different lens like i had never appreciated parks or infrastructure <laughs> as much until i met your dad you know like right. the the first thing i think of when i hear this question is like if I go back to a place, is my second time, my third time, my fourth time going to be as good as the first yeah, time? Yeah, like, is it worth it? And that's Should the, I be? And I think that's kind of the wrong question to ask because it's just comparing one time, which is so many variables. Mm-hmm. It's who you are. It's how you're feeling at that moment, who you're with, et cetera. And then you're just trying to recreate that thing like I did. And I wasted so many trips, so many days just trying to recreate that initial feeling that I had instead of accepting that I had changed and the place had changed. I mean, obviously, I I hold on to the past and I hold on to nostalgia. But I think to answer this question simply, I would just say, yes, it's worth it to 100%. return to places. And, you know, with any place, whether you've been or not, to maybe like try to remove those expectations of the place mm-hmm. and appreciate it for what it is. I mean, when we go back to places like Seoul or Busan or, you know, Tokyo, Kyoto, all of these places that we've been before, I almost I'm almost always surprised and pleasantly surprised at how different and how different the experiences are, but also how familiarity makes it feel like makes it feel special too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, there's, a, it's I, a different I, kind of special. 
I know there, there are a lot of people, especially for a lot of people that watch our videos, they say like, do something different, do something different than all the other YouTubers that are going to the same places. And I get that sentiment. There's so many places in this world to explore. And we And we so many want... YouTubers exploring them and making <laughs> videos, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, but we, and we do, we, we want, we love going back to, new, we love going to new places too. But there's, I, I just think there's something special about returning to a place that you, you've been before. Mm -hmm. And to think that every time you return is going to be the exact same. I don't think, I don't think that's true. I mean, we, I think that going back to a place two times, three times, four times still doesn't mean that you have explored everything. No, not at all. You can't really do a place, you know, mm -hmm. like people go on vacation and be like, oh yeah, we Check. did Tokyo, we did Kyoto, we did Osaka. And like, you, it's just impossible. Uh, there is infinite depth. Time will change a place and time will change you. Mm -hmm. But I think to answer the question, are there benefits to returning back to a place you've been before? I think totally. Yes. I mean, outside of the fact that you're more comfortable traveling in a place because you maybe know how the public transportation works or you speak a little bit of the language or you know what you're going to order, I think... I think those are part of the benefits. Your your second trip will be different than the first, but have a little bit of that first, you know? For sure. So what would you say are your tips? What would you say are your tips then to like let some of that expectation go? How would I let that? I think it was a realization over time that I was ruining my own trips. And that I was starting to become stuck in my old ways. I think over time I had realized that I was going back to all these places and I was learning absolutely nothing new in the process because I was just trying to like force this old feeling to happen. It feels like almost a lesson in just being present, right? Like, yeah. and I think this is something that we struggle with. I think even your next question Matt, is how do we truly embrace and appreciate the place we are in when traveling? I find myself rushing from one attraction to the next and pushing my wife, look, there's another temple. How do I slow things down and not try to cram so much into each day when I may never be back? Which I think that is like the lesson that we struggle with on a daily is mm -hmm. just being where we are. Like I, one of our favorite mottos is be where your feet are. Mm -hmm. You know, not have one foot in and one foot out the other. It feels so big to say that. Like, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. But I think oftentimes, and I, I think especially when we're filming and making YouTube videos, sometimes I just have to like turn the camera off or stop what we're doing and just stand still. You know, just look <laughs> at the thing that we're looking at or be where we are, notice the details. And it's challenging though when we don't have enough time on a trip, in life, mm -hmm. when we might not ever be back, like you said. Right, and I think, I think if there's one thing that I've learned about travel over the years is that it's much more about depth than it is about width. And by that I mean, width is like, let's see everything mm -hmm. in three days and let's just spend all this time running from place to place and you get kind of this like surface level experience everywhere that we go. Which is what we do. And our videos do show that because we like to show all of the options. The realistic parts of travel. Yes, but the stuff that really sticks with me mm -hmm. over time is the depth. Mm -hmm. It's the things that I didn't really expect to be spending as much time as I did at. Mm -hmm. But then 
for example, first time in Tokyo, first time that I went to an arcade there. Yeah. It just blew my mind that there were still arcades and that they were as gigantic as they were and there were so many games that I had never heard of. I spent two full days just in arcades. And I will never forget those two days Mm -hmm. in my entire life. That is just a memory that's going to stick with me forever because of just how into it I was, how present I was, how like exploratory everything felt, how I wasn't really expecting anything to happen. I wasn't upset if a game wasn't good or whatever and i but i just like the nerdy video game side of me was just fully indulged Mm -hmm. digging really deep into that and i I don't know i'd never really put that on like a tokyo best thing to do in three days video right because it's so specific to me but finding that specific thing and then digging as deep into it as i possibly could yeah made one of those memories that's just gonna stick with me forever I definitely think, too, as you're saying those things, the memories that stick with us are usually the ones that are unplanned Almost or always. or that we had, you know, we had never fully, fully like expected something out of it. Right. Like when when I first went to Japan for the first time, I remember and this was pre YouTube, I had planned my itinerary to the T. There was a lot of it that was like that FOMO generation that is my brain that says mm-hmm. I have to visit every single temple. I have to visit every <laughs> single restaurant and all these experiences that I wanted to jam pack. But I will be honest, I don't remember a lot of it. What I remember the most was like getting on the bus in the middle of the night when I first landed because I didn't have data and I didn't know if I was going to have the right amount of cash to get on the bus. Like all these experiences and feelings that I could not have anticipated or like going to Mount Fuji and being bummed that I couldn't see Mount Fuji because the clouds were covering it. But then I ended up staying at this awesome hostel and meeting other people, which was incredible. Like all these things that I didn't plan for. And so now like when I think about our filming trips, right, we we definitely plan these and curate these experiences again with the hope that like it gets you just enough to like get out the door and see these awesome places and know that you can do it too, especially yeah. on a budget. We're trying to show like as many of the good options mm-hmm. as possible, as many of the fun things as mm-hmm. we can. But what we've started doing, and this is a little bit of the like behind the scenes, is we we don't film everything in three days. No, yeah. And we can't for this exact reason. And we stay longer than just three days because there's a lot to the city than just the things that we're showing you on video and yeah. it and, also takes a while <clears throat> to find these things and filming a thing takes like three times as long mm-hmm. as doing a thing and then it also leaves room for us to experience the place not just behind the camera right mm-hmm. and so i almost feel like that's something like one of the ways when you're asking specifically how do i slow things down and not try to cram so much when i think about our our filming trips, sometimes that's what I feel like we're doing. We're cramming everything, everything good <laughs> right. in, but leave room for the unexpected, leave room for the like 290 yen ramen place that we didn't plan for, or right. leave room for the Bulgogi festival that we didn't know existed and we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about expectations. Like whenever I come in to a place with like my heart set on feeling one certain way or going and Mm -hmm. doing one certain thing or doing X amount of number of things whenever I get to a place, I always end up miserable Mm -hmm. at the end of a trip. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have this like big list of like, here's all the awesome stuff that I'm really into that I want to see. I get that. But 
to be unwilling to change that list for any reason, mm-hmm. even if you feel like you've like really connected with one experience and you want to dive deeper into it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just setting yourself up for eventual sadness. And in our case, arguing mm-hmm. <laughs> while yeah. we're out traveling. In our case, just relationship strife <laughs> is what that ends up in because one of us will feel like, yeah, I really need, I got to keep doing, I got to like dig into this mm-hmm. experience because this is so fun. And then the other one's like, we got to keep moving, normally me. And, and then there's nothing that ruins a trip faster than, you know, two people disagreeing about what you should be spending your time doing. That's a good segue into actually our next question, which we got from Where's Weddle? 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 Who um, asks a lot of really great questions. So Heather says, Hello from Greece. I'm a big fan of this style of video and you guys. My husband and I quit our jobs and are on month six of world travel. And her questions are are a few things, but like the one that is related to this we'll we'll tackle first is, can you talk more about spending 24-7 together? Mm -hmm. Have any different reactions to bumps in the road? How do you support each other in constant change? Um, her and her husband have been married 10 years, but we've always had time apart at work or with friends. It's been wild being together 24-7. Was this ever difficult for you two? And how did you keep your identities separate? Oh, man. Yeah. So this is <laughs> this is a big conversation, I think, for two reasons. One is that like we haven't been out of eyesight of each other <laughs> for months. Especially <laughs> on the round-the-world trip, right? Like yeah. you are just – I never appreciated – hallways so much until after until after our around the world trip like when we'd go stay with our family our friends hallways they're how you don't see another human being oh so like houses or rooms or like houses big enough where we don't have to be in the same room together right yes there's this is this is all we got here in this beautiful (laughs) hotel room but this is all we got like we can't not be within eyesight of each other (laughs) at all times and i think especially now that we're working together 24 7 building this thing i mean that that is another part of our identity that is melding kind of Mm -hmm. we're like building another identity with our two identities if that makes sense yes so i guess to answer the the quick question though is is this a problem or does this come up for you oh yeah all the time yeah we (laughs) we have challenges all the time Mm -hmm. we don't ever argue about like living together no or being together or spending i think that that has always been easy for us Mm -hmm. and i think we're lucky in that way of that like sharing the same space Mm -hmm. has always felt for me at least like home or just knowing to like when one Mm. of us needs to have space or needs to do something different yeah that like that's not personal. It's an okay thing. Right. Like right after we're done recording this podcast, Lisa is going to go out to all the different like op shops or Goodwills. Uh, what's another word? Thrift stores. Thrift stores in the area. Yeah. And buy all that stuff. And I'm specifically not going with, even though I love going thrift shopping because I know that Lisa probably needs some space because we have spent three straight weeks together in a camper van. <laughs> And I think that it's very reasonable to want some space after that. And I probably want some too. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's those little things over time and not taking them personally mm-hmm. and understanding of like, okay, maybe maybe it's best if we like don't do every everything mm-hmm. together, but we do almost everything yeah. together. But I think in general I think in general we find it easier to spend all of our time together right next to each other than I think a lot of people. Yeah. Do. Like this is a weird thing and I think especially after the pandemic it became easier for us to 
be in the same space, but be working on different things, right? Or like doing different things. Like to me, that was helpful enough for me to say, this is my new alone time, you Mm -hmm. know? That I I am like, I I love, one of my favorite things is being in the same room as you or like your brothers or other people when you're watching YouTube or playing video games. Mm -hmm. I don't have to play games. And oftentimes, I find more joy just being in the same space while you guys are playing video games. Sure, you doing your own thing. Yeah, you're like scrolling Instagram or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the rest of us are doing doing something, something together, and it's totally fine because everyone's just like sharing the space and yeah. good vibes are still happening. Yeah. We have different reactions, different like reactions, and different ways to do do things. Like mm-hmm. this is true not just about the business and and making YouTube videos, but also in life, right? Like just we were just talking about traveling and how in general like there might be a thing that you will want to see or that I won't want to see mm-hmm. or the pace. Like that's something that we we definitely struggle with. Oh, for sure. And and it's compromise. Like yeah. it's it's non-stop compromise. I mean, we are spending literally all of our time together. Mm-hmm. All of it together like right next to mm-hmm. each other and that's amazing mm-hmm. and we're so lucky to be able to do that and to be able to spend this like super condensed time together but there mm-hmm. are compromises yeah. and i think to and i think to presume that you'd be able to that anyone would be able to spend <laughs> this much time together without compromising yeah in really tangible and sometimes really big sometimes yeah. really hard ways yeah i it just can't work without it. Mm-hmm. It just can This lifestyle that we have of never not seeing each other cannot work without significant compromise. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a beautiful thing and that it's taught us so much about our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think it's deepened it in a lot of really mm-hmm. good ways. Mm-hmm. And it's taught us just how to live a life together instead of how to live separate lives and then have small little connective tissues mm-hmm that are sometimes together. I mean, we're lucky in that a lot of our interests definitely overlap, obviously, this life. And our, like, approach to money also overlaps. And and our willingness to eat the 10th rotisserie chicken. (laughs) Um, We have found so many. Maybe one day we'll share our recipes. I don't know. There's so many rotisserie chicken (laughs) recipes that we've we've come up with. Um, Just to save money so we can travel more is the end of that story of, like, we've always been willing to sacrifice tasty food or comfort usually both to be able to continue traveling longer but there but we we definitely have differences right mm-hmm. we come from different families different parts of the world and that's natural it's natural to have different approaches to things i would say that like we talked about this last week i can be someone who is very content just sitting inside and being at home you know for a while you naturally desire and gravitate towards moving. Yeah, constantly newness, moving. right, novelty. So sure. like that is one of the challenges that sometimes we have to compromise on. Like how do we fit in both? How do we make sure that both needs are met? And I think one of the ways that we do this and we talk about this a lot is we kind of check in with each other. Like if someone's having a particularly rough day or needs something and the other person is kind of like, good feeling okay Mm -hmm. feeling at ease then that person will like rise up to the challenge it has been a challenge just in general for me to like voice my needs or my opinions Mm -hmm. i've always been the kind of person that just like i'm going with the flow i want to do what everyone else does but you know we know that that doesn't always work eventually eventually you need 
to like say. Eventually, I always need to end up saying what I need. Otherwise, I'll keep it in, keep it in until, you know? (laughs) Right, Right. And so I think one thing that has been good and challenging in the last few years of spending all of our time together is being able to specifically say, nah, today I'm not feeling up for this particular activity. Right. It's like communicating that like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm only feeling like 40% today. Like I'm going to need mm-hmm. you to carry 60% yeah. today. Or and just then to like. Me being like, okay. Yeah. Like, or me being like, I cannot do that today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have it in me. We're stopping. We're slowing down. Right. Just like, and not, not, not taking it personal when the other person feels that and i think that's part of the like what you said what your question was is like how you keep your identities in that in that process in the process of communicating and and compromising Mm -hmm. recognizing that like when someone else you're not you're not giving up part of who you are you are asking the other person to understand where you are and who you are and and adjusting you it's know? just being a team yeah it's just being a team and there's we would not have learned this half as fast <laughs> as, we not as, as we did had we not started all of this stuff together had yeah. we not built this life together had we not spent 24 7 together these mm-hmm. are just lessons that we learn that make our relationship work based on you know mm-hmm. the pretty friggin' weird arrangement that we have of just <laughs> non-stop traveling always being uh-huh. within eyesight of each other for months sometimes years on end yeah some practical tips, I would say, like have hobbies. And, and we <laughs> yeah. talk about have, this. Have hobbies separate from each which other. Which is right? really, really hard to do when you're traveling, I know. You know, and it sounds, what a charmed life, I know, traveling and having hobbies outside of traveling. But, <laughs> I mean, like, I think the things that we've tried to keep doing that keep our identities are like you will you will schedule time to play video games with your brother. Yep. You will fix things commonly and yes. I will, you know, make time to join my halal on Hula and wherever I can, whenever I can, or we watch different things. We don't watch every single thing that we like movies. Mm-hmm. You will go out and see a movie sometimes and I'll go shopping. You know, like random things like schedule in the things that you would typically do, phone conversations with friends and family. And and it's okay to do those things on your own, I think. Also, long showers when you have access to hot water. I, I mean, what a blessing! I that take is, like you know? six minute showers sometimes, and that feels glorious because it is because it is me time. <laughs> that's actually yeah. that's actually a tip that I learned from my best friend who has two kids. Mm. Very different experience for sure, yeah. but she said I get it, that though. her tip for getting alone time was taking long showers. <laughs> I just want to give a quick analogy okay. about what it's like building a YouTube Ooh, channel together. Coming in with the analogy. And I think that this will also apply to any like couple or uh, spouses member. or partners or whatever yeah. building a thing together. Okay. So have any of you out there ever built an Ikea cabinet <laughs> or wardrobe or any other Ikea thing with another person? These are real relationship testers, you know, this like doing this Why together. Why Ikea specifically? Oh, man. Okay. There's so many reasons. One, because the instructions are almost always useless. In an Ikea thing, yeah, they're just like vague drawings of like, put the screw into this thing. And like, it's just such a breeding ground for disagreements between people when you're building something There's so together. much room for interpretation. Yes. Yes. And like, 
building a YouTube channel is a lot like just building IKEA dressers over and over again. The instructions are unclear, borderline like damaging to the process of building the thing. There are so many parts and pieces, so many little things to do. And then no matter what, the two people who are building this Ikea thing together have will, different ways to will do have it. different approaches to do it. Like we should start at the bottom. What if we started at the top? We should oh, start no. at the instruction manual. Yeah. Maybe we should like separate all the pieces into little like sections to make sure they're all nicely organized and then we'll begin. Or the other one's like, let's just throw it together. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> right. Like I don't need these instructions. And over time, at some point throughout the process of building an Ikea cabinet, the entire thing is going to fall apart <laughs> and it can be so easy to take that moment and just be like, you didn't put the screws in right. Or you point to me like, oh yeah, you didn't read the instructions good enough. You didn't separate the parts. We're not even using the right screws for this thing. We don't have the right tools. And like these, these moments of like that inevitably happen whenever you're building anything, but happen every three days when you're making a YouTube video, mm. they happen all the time of these like building an Ikea thing together. And then the whole thing falls apart. And then you can choose to either point the finger at each other mm -hmm. or just to figure out how to fix it yeah. together and we, we almost invariably have different visions for a lot of different things and so yes. many points like not just traveling but also like how a style of a video how what it might feel like with music choices what we've also learned is to like say is this part how important is this part mm -hmm. to you how important is it to me like almost assigning a project manager to say, no, this this part you can lead, this part you can lead. Right. And like, we kind of have to like weigh every one of those decisions. Mm -hmm. And to go back to Ikea analogy, like <laughs> the feeling when you finish mm. building an Ikea dresser or creating a YouTube video is one of being proud of it, but also one of uncertainty that this thing might fall apart at any moment <laughs> because it was built by you, right? Oh. Like because it was, you know, it's That's not... so funny because I love Ikea furniture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, everybody loves Ikea furniture, but assembling them, yeah. there's whole industries out there. There's That's entire true. websites and services created just to have people build your Ikea That's furniture true. for you because of how friggin' awful the process is. And I think the process of making a YouTube channel or I think doing any business together with your partner, spouse, whatever, is exactly like building an Ikea dresser, but every couple of days, just over and over and over. And sometimes you're building like five or six at the same time. And it's about learning who's good at what, trusting them implicitly mm -hmm. with doing that thing over and over and over again no and being amazing at it. And taking moments to celebrate when you finished ones and absolutely never pointing the finger when it falls apart but instead of that, just figuring out how to fix it together and start putting it back together. Well said. And also reinforcing. You got to keep the little tool. You got to keep the tool to reinforce the furniture sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, right. Sometimes you got to go back and refix it even after you think it's already done. Um, for more IKEA analogies, <laughs> please hit subscribe. <laughs> so for our last question for today, how does it feel to come home from a trip around the world. That's what this question's asking. So, AKA Blaze with two Zs. Pretty sweet. Lots of caps locks. Love it. My partner and I are on a midlife gap year, not crisis. They specifically say this is not a midlife crisis. This is a gap year. <laughs> and on month eight right now. 
quit my job and my partner's early retired and both of us individually were in the middle of places to live and then we agreed on this like new life of travel. As we are about three to four months from ending and going back to the States, we worry about going back and have a lot of different feels about it. Like how we've changed and what it will feel like going back to normal normality, something familiar, will we adapt? Could you expand on what feeling you had when you both were about to return and what it actually was when you returned? Oh, man. Okay, so so coming home from a trip like that where you've been gone for so long is, I think, without a doubt, the hardest part of this entire process. Yeah. And I don't want to, like, set your expectations to just be like, ah, it's going to be... going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be awful. It's you're, hard, though. Your experience may be... Very different than mine, but I've had the same experience all four times I've come home from a one-year round-the-world trip, including our last one that we came home from together. And there's so many different aspects and so many different like avenues of this feeling, but I think in general, what's the right analogy to explain this? I think, I think you, you had a good one yesterday. I think returning back from a round-the-world trip or an extended period of time to me, it feels like when you come back to your home that you you know you were born in, for example, or the place that you were the place that you were born, returning after going away for a significant amount of time. So this could be like when you move away from home for the first time, when you go to college, if you go to college, or any anything like that, and coming back and realizing, oh, things haven't changed here but I've changed so much, that's what it feels like. Yeah, where you kind of feel like you're back at home, you're back at a place you're comfortable in, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really feel like home anymore. Yeah. And that is a very weird, very new feeling because like you've gone through all of these significant changes. You've like crammed years and years of like life experiences into like eight plus months. Mm -hmm. And you come back and reconnecting with people is difficult Mm -hmm. in a really tangible way and reconnecting with that old life that you had is really difficult because you've changed Mm -hmm. and probably everybody else that you've talked to has also changed Mm -hmm. um and it's it you know how do you explain and encapsulate all of those memories and those experiences to the people that weren't with you on that trip mm -hmm. in just a short conversation it it is hard i i think we struggled with this a lot when we came back we struggled with like, how do we connect again with our family and our friends who we haven't seen in a year and a half? How do we how do we talk about how do we actually catch up, you know, mm-hmm. on everything that's happened? Because they've also changed. They've maybe had kids, maybe got married, you know, and it's an adjustment period. And I would say we when we came back from this last trip, we were bummed. We were sad for like yeah. it felt so different. Like we were surrounded by friends and family, but it it was hard to know how to be it it almost felt like we were also lacking purpose yeah so like post-trip depression totally real thing i can say this with a hundred percent certainty it's a very (laughs) real thing even for people that just take two to three week vacations or 10 day vacations the travel blues when you come back Mm -hmm. they're very real the sunday blues yeah and i think the longer that you're away the harder that it gets Mm -hmm. i think that there's a ton of different reasons for this i think one the biggest reason is that you have had unlimited Saturdays. You've had like 300 plus Saturdays in a row where you just get to do whatever you want all day, every day, and fully like the choice in the direction of your life 
when you're out traveling for like what you're doing on this round the world trip is fully up to you. It's fully up to you. And this might be the first time in your life that you'll ever be able to experience that. And if you don't go on another one of these trips again, it might be the last time Mm -hmm. you also get to experience this level of like grip on your time and freedom, this level of that. And then all of a sudden you come back to this world that you used to live in where there's only one Saturday a week. And there's also like one one or a couple of ways to do things. Like I remember specifically having a really hard time coming back and not knowing how to get around places. Like we didn't have a car at the time. <laughs> right. We we were reliant on our family and our friends, which is awesome that they were so willing. But I felt like an inconvenience. I felt like a burden. I felt like, oh, I have to like ask my mom again for a ride to the airport, you know, like you had gotten, yeah, we've yeah. gotten so good at this one specific style of living. And all of a sudden we were back to this like other yeah. style of living and we just weren't that good at it. Yeah. If number one is that like you had full control over your time, you had unlimited Saturdays in a row. And then all of a sudden you only have one Saturday a week. And then you're starting like the rest of your time is now back to this normal nine to five schedule. I think the second thing is walking and sunshine and this for me is one of my biggest coping mechanisms of coming home after this like round the world trip blues is that more than likely every single day on this trip at some point you got out and you walked sometimes for like 10 miles in a day we would walk and then we would like see the sun and we would experience new things and we would go out into the world and then all of a sudden for some reason when we got back home we just wanted to do nothing all of it and yeah. we just sat inside all day because that's the life that we used to live and that's the like the pace that we used to live mm-hmm. at is where most of our time was just kind of like sitting around, not really doing a lot of outdoorsy things, definitely not going on like 10 miles of walking mm-hmm. every single day. And I think that this like big shift in like physical output as well as walking as well as like the amount of sunshine we were getting and just how well we were kind of like treating our bodies and how much exercise we were getting and then coming home and then doing nothing, I think that 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 one thing really messed me up. And I think they say this, you know, we keep pushing our return date back further and have thought mm-hmm. of stateside road trips when we return physically, but not mentally. Sure. And I, I, I think that resonates with us too. And I, I think it's important to schedule in those like things, those trips, whether it be, whether it be road, road trips in the States or scheduling time to see family or friends, like, scheduling something to have something to kind of look forward to is really was really helpful for us there was a period of time where we just like blobbed for months because we didn't know what to do and it almost felt like we were looking forward to our next big thing our next project so having a plan i think is actually a really good idea obviously save space for that like that sadness like i remember i think the night before we left seoul to come back, I I carved out like two hours to just write in my notes like a mm-hmm. journal entry about what this felt like to to like wrap up this trip, to come back home. I mean, it doesn't take away the sting of it and the like grieving that you'll have of this incredible year or eight months that you would have spent on the road. But it commemorates it, right? And it gives you the time to say like, this happened, this is incredible, this is what's about to happen, and then plan plan things. Like we had, luckily we had, you know, the 4th of July with your family, mm-hmm. we had friends come out and meet us, 
we had plans to go back and see all of our friends in different places. But but then we almost like after a month or two of just like blobbing, we were like, what's our next right, big this project? This sucks. Let's do something else. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like we had just, we had changed. Yeah. We had changed over time about the type of life that we wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally normal. Related to that, it's, you know, the third point is that it's, it's a challenge because you want to share. You want to share yes. all the experiences, all the incredible cool places that you've been to and all the cool foods that you've tried. But it's really, really hard to connect with people who weren't there. To me, it maybe feels like they don't they don't care. They don't but it might just be that they don't know how to ask about your eight months of travels. Right. Like how and do you, you summarize pro- right, that? And you probably don't know. Nobody knows how to summarize like a year of straight travel, right? Yeah. Like how to talk. It's and not how some do, like how do you ask people about it, yeah. right? You wanna say so much, but there's just there's almost never room in the conversation to be able to really I mean, we've been doing eight hours of this podcast for sure along this one. And I don't think that in eight hours I could fully explain what it would feel like to like go on a round the world trip and how it changed me as a person. I think it would take forever to be able to get there. The like closest analogy that I imagine is like from our point of view, when we ask our friends who are new parents, Mm -hmm. is this what you were expecting? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, how how is having a kid? (laughs) How are you doing? You know, or like, what is it like? And you know, of course there's so many things that we're not seeing, right? Like, the good, the bad, right, the like, hard, the great. love that yeah. they feel for the all these things is is what I envision for like. I mean, it's not the same, but that like closest thing is when we look at our friends who are new parents and we're like, we have no idea what that's like. Mm-hmm. How do we ask them about that? Travel and kids very different, I know, but like there are all these little micro things that happen that you just don't see and you don't know how to to fully express. Yeah. But like the thing that I will say in this in this third category specifically is rather than try to express that to my friends and my families, mm-hmm. just for us to come back with an open mind and be curious about what their lives have yeah, been like. Absolutely. Because it sometimes these experiences can be just for us and that's okay, you know? It can feel easy to want to run away mm-hmm. from everything. Because you just feel like everything is so much worse than when you left it. Everything well, is so much worse than the thing you were doing the week before you all, came home on the trip. And everything's so much less interesting. Well, and, because eh, in a lot of ways. it's so not true. Well, because in a lot of ways, for, for us too, you know, mm-hmm. being traveling, traveling for as long as we did was kind of running away from the life that we had before. And for sure. I think the thing... Luckily, now we can say this on the other side. And running I think towards a new life. That's, But people don't know that. For that's sure. an option or that's a way or that's even a thing that they want when they return. We didn't know that. I no. honestly thought when we came back from our trip, we were just going to go back to our jobs and do the normal thing, which I think a lot of people do. But I, that's what I mean when I say like find your next project is figure out mm-hmm. what you want your life to look like now that you've gone through this life-changing trip. And that's totally normal. I think that's normal for finishing anything, yeah. for finishing any big goal that you have. Once you make it there and you realize that from the top of that mountain, 
all you see is just more tops of other mountains that you could climb. Yeah. And just realizing that, okay, now the only thing to do is come back down. I think we also have to recognize, too, that, you know, part of the sadness of coming back from a trip is realizing that when you get back, Mm-hmm. things will have changed without you right like i think it was really really hard to come back and see that like a lot of our friends had children and we weren't there for them for that. sure we had or, missed weddings we had missed yeah births we had missed deaths we yeah. had missed a lot of life a lot of life had happened while we were gone and you know you're kind of insulated from it until you come back home Coming back from a trip also forces you to realize like the things that we had been running away from or the things that have changed without us as well and and forces you to kind of confront them and deal with them again. Yeah, but I think that on the other side of this, I think combating this problem, this depression, was mostly an act of finding gratitude instead of looking at all the downsides. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we could come back and there was still all this stuff, all these people, all this amazing, like, this entire life that we had that we could put on pause and come back and have it still be there and still exist. And all these, like, foundational people and things and places were still there. And that's, uh, I can't even express how important that is to coming back home after something like this. Rather than look for ways to be upset that we can't connect with people anymore (laughs) or that our cat has gotten older just like appreciating the fact that we even have people that we can connect with Mm. still, that they were supportive enough to still be in our lives even though we were gone for a year. Yeah, and that you get to reconnect and learn again all this year of stuff that had happened in their lives Mm -hmm. and how much of a blessing that is of that like that had been turned off for a little while, but now you get to turn on that faucet again and be like, whoa, all this cool things happened over the past year and that's like amazing. And now like we get to talk about all of it and it's just... Uh, I think seeing that gratitude can be really, really hard. There's good parts to it too. Yeah. That's a really great question. We would love to hear from all of you that have done something similar or have any advice or suggestions. Um, this is just, you know, definitely our experience and our thoughts and, and we hope to fully encapsulate it more in a, in a project and a documentary later, but um, we would love all of your practical and and non-practical advice and suggestions. Yes, yes. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out and tell us how things are going once you do decide mm. to end the trip and go home. We've been through it. You don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it alone. Yeah, there's a whole community of people too that I think, um, as we're learning, are very thoughtful and have likely gone through something similar. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to leave questions for next week's episode. Yep. Uh, Yeah, we'll see you then. We'll see you then. Bye.